nice, cool morning. I realized that uh, we were out doing some things the other night, and I was actually kind of chilly, and I thought, when was the last time I was cold and chilly? Like, well, be like March or April. So that's a good thing. Um, well, as we always do, just kind of check in, see if there's anything that uh, interesting that's occurred over the weekend, any uh, faith-promoting rumors that you heard in the Gospel Doctrine class, really exciting that you're still wondering about, or... Well, I thought then that I would get started today with uh, kind of a good way to get going here today would be to talk about kind of the completion of something we talked about last semester. Last semester, when we were talking about church history, we talked about uh, Brother Thomas Marsh. And uh, Thomas Marsh was Quorum of, he was the president of the Quorum of Twelve Apostles, uh, got into a dispute with the brethren, uh, left the church, um, Wandered around for a while. We talked about how one night a wonderful man by the name of Wandel Mace uh, was just sitting down to dinner at uh, Far West, uh, not, not Far West, um, Winter Quarters. Knock came at the door. It's raining. There's Brother Marsh standing there looking very pitiful. And he said, my name is Thomas Marsh, the Mormon apostate. Uh, he says, I, I've had one seizure today. I'm afraid I'm going to have another one, and I don't have much longer to live, but I would really like to be joined back at the body of the saints. No matter what you do, don't let me die outside this church. Uh, Brother Marsh then connected him with some of the brethren. They were able to get him rebaptized. Uh, he actually started doing better physically after that, made it out to Salt Lake, and then was given a chance in the old Bowery. Uh, on Temple Square, they used to have the old Bowery, and it was a open-ended uh, kind of patio thing with sticks over the top where people could come a couple thousand and, and hear the brethren speak. And they gave him a chance to speak at the old Bowery. And some of this you might have heard before. This is actually an uh, interesting time, September 1857. This is uh, Johnson's army is marching on uh, Salt Lake. Uh, here's what he said in that setting. The next question is, how and when did you lose the spirit? I became jealous of the prophet, and then I saw double, and everything looked, uh, and overlooked everything that was right. Spent all my time looking for evil, and then when the devil began to lead me, it was easy for the carnal mind to rise up, which is anger, jealousy, and wrath. Okay. Now I want you to think about that, because we're going to talk about a lot about apostasy today starting with Cain. But, but I want you to hear those. It was When the devil began to lead me, it was easy for the carnal mind to rise up, uh, which is anger, jealousy, and wrath. I thought you nailed this pretty well. Could have been Brigham Young. Could have easily and should have been Brigham Young. Um, I could feel it within me. I felt angry and wrathful, the spirit of the Lord being gone. As the scriptures say, I was blinded. And I thought I saw a beam in Brother Joseph's eye, but there was nothing but a moat. My eye was filled with the beam. But I thought I saw the beam in his, and I wanted to get it out. And as Brother Heber says, I got mad, and I wanted everyone else to be mad. Sometimes when you see people kind of upset about something that the bishop is doing, or 
the prophet is doing. They get mad, and then they're mad because nobody else is mad. <laughs> it's not how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to have the same umbrage that I have. What's wrong with you? I talked to Brother Brigham and Brother Heber, and I wanted them to be mad like myself, and I saw that they were not mad. And I got madder still because they were not. <laughs> this isn't right. Don't you see that it's not right? Brother Brigham, with a cautious look, said, Are you the leader of the church, Brother Thomas? I said, No. Well, then he said, Will you not let it alone? Well, this is, not, this is about the amount of my hypocrisy. I meddled in that which was not my business. Okay? So you get this speech, and he's speaking to the, the saints uh, there in Salt Lake. Now, what is not generally known was Brigham Young's response to this. Brigham's on the stand. He's going to speak. Uh, and Brigham was actually fairly gruff on this. Um, he was not in a good mood. This, September 1857 was not a good time for the church. Okay, I think that led into it. But I want you to hear what Brigham said. I presume that Brother Marsh will take no offense if I talk a little about him. <laughs> If he had had good sense and judgment, he would not have spoken as he has. Imagine like in sacrament meeting, you know, the bishop gets up after and he says, Okay, uh, I know what Sister Ragsdale has just said. I don't think she'll mind if I say a few things about her. I think she shouldn't have said what she said. He has just said, I will be faithful and I will be true to you. He has not the wisdom enough to see that he betrayed us once and don't know, but he will do it again. Oh, wait, there's more. <laughs> he has told me that he would be faithful and he would do this and the other, but I don't know what he will do next week or next year. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what I will do next year. You never hear me say that I was going to be true to my God, for I know too much of human weakness. But I pray God to preserve me from falling away. This is Brigham talking. Now, how is that for us? Does that make sense? Can we say with full confidence that I will never fall away? It's a little bit like an alcoholic who gets up after even 10 years of sobriety and says, I will never take another drink. Does he know that? What does he know? I won't take a drink today. At this hour. Another one, I've got to take it one day at a time. We don't know, brothers and sisters, when we look at the history of saints that we have lost, I would guess that an awful lot of them at one point said, I'm solid. There's never a problem. Nothing can ever tear me away from the bosom of the church. And then what happens? Here it comes. Okay, so that's part of what we're going to talk about today because I think one of the cautionary tales is the fact that anyone, if you're not careful, can be led away. And I want you to watch how it occurs. And the beautiful thing that we have in this section of the Bible, that we're talking about Cain and Abel and then Enoch and and Enoch watching Noah, you watch how good people get led astray. And so that's our, that's our goal for today. Okay? Now, 
So here's the seeds of apostasy. Now, one of the things that we have, it's beautiful to have the Bible. Uh, one of the things that Joseph was able to do was in his uh, inspired translation of the Bible was actually fill some of the things in that were originally in the Bible that for whatever reason were taken out over time. Okay, so we get so we kind of get the rest of the story here. So let's go over to Moses 5.16. Because if you, one of the questions that somebody has said is, uh, without with limited information, well, I read the Bible, and Adam and Eve were thrown out of the garden, and then they had Cain and Abel, uh, and then and then they started having kids. Well, how did they marry? Ha! Huh, you know, you know that's that's one of those proofs of the Bible isn't true because there was just Cain and Abel, and then they're married. So were they like marrying cave women? You know, what is the deal here? Well, we know. From our discussion last week, remember that how long had Adam and Eve been on the earth before Cain and Abel show up? Yeah, long enough that we know for at least that there were two generations of, and probably more, that they had had. That they had had a lot of kids prior to Cain and Abel. In the fifth chapter it says though that Cain was... 130 years old when Seth was born. Yeah. How can he be? How can he be in the Garden of Eden for 400 years? Who? Adam. Well, because the time for them and age didn't start until they were still immortal. So they come out of the garden, and then age starts for them. Okay. So how do we explain that even if they had five or six hundred years to have kids, that there's hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of people on the earth? They were, they were really developing quickly, weren't they? <laughs> I don't know. But here's, here's, the, here's the thing that's even more... The thing that's sad about this is the fact that here are Adam and Eve, and they spent however long they spent in the garden. Okay? They walked and talked with God. So now they get out and they start teaching the gospel to their children that they're having. And what happens? They're all, they're all leaving. They're all becoming apostate. Satan is getting to them faster almost than Adam and Eve can teach them. Yeah. At what point do we believe Cain was righteous? Well, that's a good question. If it's a, if it was Maybe when he was four. Yeah, I know. And that's why he was, so is it possible that he came out I mean, you guys have had kids that were like rebellious from day one, right? You know, they come out of the womb, doctor slaps them, they cry, they slap the doctor back. And so at that moment, they're already rebellious. Immediately. Yeah, he does. Now, because let's talk about it, because we don't know how old this is when this occurs. Yes. Yes. Thank you for checking. I've been known to miss that from time to time. Okay, so Adam and Eve. Now, I believe where, where this happens right now, let's pick up the story. Adam and Eve have been in the, out in the low and dreary world for years and years. Finally, after the, all of that we talked about last time, the angel comes to them and says, you're sacrificing, how come? Well, because God commanded me. This is why it is. They get it. They rejoice. They're baptized. There's kind of a new start that has happened here. And I think this is where... Cain shows up. Now we look, we have no more information than we did. Now we have a chart, chance to begin anew. 
And Adam and Eve, his wife, ceased not to call upon God. And Adam knew what his wife and conceived Cain and conceived bear Cain. And and her response is when she gets Cain is what? I have gotten a man from God. Put that in different terms. Huh? Yeah, this is going to be a godly man. This is going to be... This, this one's going to make it. I have high hopes for this one. I have gotten... A, after all of these other kids, I have gotten a man from God. So that makes him prime target. Oh, does it though? Yeah, it makes him prime target. And in this case, that was certainly true. Because notice his attitude before Satan is even really more active in his life than he's going to be. Okay? Uh, I've gotten him out. Wherefore, he may not reject his words. It's going to work. But Cain hearkened not, saying, Who is the Lord that I should know him? Say that differently. What is Cain saying? Who is God that I should listen to him? Why wouldn't I listen to him? How come he wouldn't want to obey him? Because I know more than he does. Who is God to tell me what to do? It's, it's my body. I can do whatever I want with it. Yes. That's why I'm thinking he's 13 at this point. That's right. You can't tell me what to do. I am smarter than everybody else. Who is God that he would tell me what to do? I want to do whatever I want to do, eat whatever I want to eat, and and I will worship the way that I want to. I was going to say, my kids, when they were seven or eight, used to tell me, you're not the boss of me. Yeah, it's like it's said today at seven or eight. It's like, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> and God's not the boss of me. I get to do what I want. Didn't he give me free agency? Yes. Well, then I'm going to choose. <laughs> yes. And, she, and so you get this beginning of this attitude. Now, when it comes to apostasy, doesn't it start right at this moment? Because you start to wonder, where does somebody kind of go off the wagon? Where does somebody that is doing well begin to start heading down a road that will lead them away from the presence of God, out of the church, and out of the ordinances? What's the very first step? Pride. I know more. Now, when I look at um, at groups that we have around us, particularly within the church, so I want to talk about apostasy today. And the, the church is always more at risk as a church from people within the church than without. But they're also within those that every day have been going to church. They seem to be doing all the right things. I think I told you about the the couple that I I Skyped with in another state who were devastated that their kid, who had been the number one kid and leader and all this stuff, and and he's just this amazing kid, and they sent him off to an Ivy League school, and he craters in just a couple weeks. Suddenly the church isn't true. Um, I don't believe it. And they were just incredibly devastated by this whole thing, as you would be. And we'll talk about that in a second. Now, so there are some at-risk groups that I think 
Some people at risk, and I don't know if anybody here, if we're part of this, but let's just make sure that we spot them, okay? At-risk groups. The betrayed. Betrayal is the strongest emotion in the world, in the universe. It's a, it's a deadly cocktail of uh, anger and love and trust and all that stuff that gets mixed together and gets out of control, Okay? So the betray. Who might betray them? Mothers. Friends. The bishop. Spouse. Themselves. I betrayed myself. There's something wrong with me. I'm betrayed by the church because they didn't tell me that Joseph Smith did such and such. And nobody talked about this stuff. So somehow I've been led astray by uh, the church or church leaders. God betrayed me. Why would God do this to me? Why? You know, I was taught that he's a loving God and everything. Why would he do this to me? Why would he send a flood and kill everybody? That's not a very loving God. Why would a God of the Old Testament says if you commit adultery, the, the sentence is death? Why? I was just watching a show the other night where they were struggling with this. Why? Why? I have a hard time believing in God that says if you break the Sabbath day, the punishment is death. Old Testament could be harsh. So maybe God has betrayed me. If I had known he was going to cheat on me, why did God tell me to marry him? So the betrayed are at risk. The world dazzled. Yeah. But it could be, it could be something um, more um, normal than that. It could be, why does God make me go to this church when I have no friends? Why does God make me go to religious side when no one sits by me? Yeah, and I'm supposed to do it. Why I had friends who went to the church and went to my ward. Why did God let them move? Yeah. Why did God not have the bishop smile at me? He walked up and frowned at me. All Perfect. He said he's my friend. So God has let me down. Somebody has. Now, here's the other. The world does it. Just what were they wearing on the red carpet last night at the end? <laughs> and do I have to wear something similar? Because, you know, and, and I'm always a little worried when I talk to people and, and they talk about uh, actors and uh, pop stars and it's always in first, and it's always like first name only. I'm worried about Brittany. <laughs> And I pray for Ryan that she'll be better. It's like this ends up being kind of, you know, we're just bedazzled by the world. That that puts us at risk, I think, because the world has a whole different set of standards and a whole different set of goals. The inadequately taught. Those that are not prepared. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, the inadequate... Let's go back to the idea of the church history. Possibility. Sister Joan was talking about. There, there is, we, 
Our, our kids need to know our history, including some wars, so that they're not inadequately taught and then brought blindsided when they go to the Google and thumb them and they put in Mormons and they get all kinds of ah! <laughs> by whoever's writing a blog with whatever incomplete information they have. But again, for years and years, our attitude, you've heard me say this, our attitude has been, it's not, don't worry about it, it's not part of your salvation. I'm not going to, why, why did this happen? Well, I'm not telling you, it's just not important, you just concentrate on faith. Okay, well then I'll go to Google and find out. How's that working out for us? They've got to know. Well, and those, and those pages are spirit suckers. You can be having a great day. You spend some time reading an ex-mortal blog or something, you can feel the spirit go, and you go, well, now suddenly I'm not sure. Well, yeah, because there's no way that the spirit can bear witness to that. Well, I just feel dark because maybe I'm unsure. Yes, because you went to sites where truth doesn't live, no matter how well-intentioned it might be. Christians trying to, to pull these wayward Mormons back in the fold. Yeah. What would you say is the best way to become informed and be able to respond to that kind of stuff without uh, going to places where spirits are going to suck? Great question. Because I think somewhere in our in our teaching process. Uh, and to, to missionaries, I say this a lot, you have got to inoculate people so that they don't get blindsided. You've got to know enough about the controversies that are out there. Uh, so there are places like, uh, and I think they're going to change the name of it, but it has been uh, fair.org, F-A-I-R.org, uh, where these are Mormon apologists, not because they're apologizing for the church, but they're explaining doctrine. Let's give you the true information about polygamy and Joseph Smith. Let's give you the true information about blacks and the priesthood. Let's, you know, some of those things. And it's like, let's understand the truth behind that. And we need to be able to teach people that are kind of fresh in the gospel a little bit more about, or you're going to, at the very least, say, you know what? If you start Googling this stuff, you're going to come up with some questions. Before you get too worried about it, come ask me. So fair. Fair.org is a great place. Yeah. You've got to realize there are those out there that are so hard that yeah. you're not going to approach them no matter what you do. Yeah. You just got to trust the spirit to God. Perfect. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, also, you know, like a totally different perspective than what you're talking about. Inadequately taught, I think, also is cultural. We don't teach the process. Yes. We, the process, okay, like for example, the process. You've been rebuked by your leaders. What's what are your obligations? Yes. You are obligated to let that leader show an increase of love towards you. You, you know, it's not, that's not, I know it's not worded that way, but that's the process. You you did it. You know, like the we're going to talk about the office. Yeah. God tried to show forth an increase of love back to Cain. Well, well, for instance... But you can't, you know, like, I can love you. Yes. Let me give you another one that's inadequately taught. Perfect point. 
when we, when the Book of Mormon says we, we preach of Christ, we teach of Christ, and we do all of these things so that our children may know what? Where they can go for remission of their sins. Do they understand the atonement? I'm always completely shocked sometimes when I've looked at anti-Mormon blog and said, well, they don't, they don't talk much about Christ. Were you listening? <laughs> and if not, whose fault is that? To be able to say how much we rely on the Savior for everything that we do. It was one of the brethren, I think it was President Kimball, that talked to himself and, and explained himself as, I'm a donut. I'm the hole in the middle and God is the rest of it around the outside of the donut. I can't do anything that I do. Yeah. And just a correction on the fair, it's fair, F-A-I-R-L-D-S. Fair, L they just changed it. Yeah, and they also have. Yeah, fair, fair recently changed their website to fairlds.org. Thanks, Dan. Because it was just fair.org. Somebody was probably trying to mess with that. Yeah. How to walk that walk. In fact, why don't you hold on to that? Because we're gonna because because we're gonna get there's a beautiful scripture coming up where God is gonna say to Enoch, walk with me. Walk with me. And that, that is gonna be this is how we get this is how we make sure that we're not that we're able to get past rebellion and apostasy. Okay. Uh, inadequately prepared. I think you're also do I not know how to handle questions as they come up? Do I know how to respond? Am I adequately prepared when somebody insults me? When a leader is human? When the bishop does forget my name? This one always worries me. The contrarian. I call him the smartest guy in the room. They're the one that, that has to endure all of these stupid, simple, boring gospel doctrine classes because we never get into the meat. We never get into the good stuff. And then the contrarians are, and this is the ones that are prime picking for people that are going to come along and say, you're ready for more. Let me show you the higher stuff, the good stuff. I think I can say this without offending. <laughs> I had a man at Education Week three years ago follow me from class to class uh, who had some questions that he wanted to ask. And his, his belief was that the brethren didn't understand the importance of uh, the lovemaking process within marriage and that uh, the, the sacred temple garden should be sacred temple sheets that, that are, that, so that you can always sleep naked. That was his big deal. In other words, God got it wrong in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't supposed to be a coat of skin. It was like supposed to be a sheep. Anyway. All right. All right. 
why don't you talk to your state president? I did that. He thinks I'm a little nutty. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't understand. Write a letter to the brethren. Yeah. The overwhelmed. Sometimes I think the overwhelmed, we are betrayed or we are overwhelmed and sometimes a rebellion is a break. Sometimes an apostasy means I get Sundays off and a 10% raise. If I want to leave the church. There's no other church that has members that are stressed as our church. Oh, we stretch them. Yeah. We look at the whole picture. We are serving animals, man. We do. This is a, this is a way of life, for sure. Okay. So anyway, I just think there are risk groups for apostasy. And we just have to recognize. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to figure out how we as mortal people would not fall into the inadequately taught group and all be at risk. You're here. That says something. You're right. In other words, part of... Hang on to that. Because there's going to be... Because we need to... Hopefully what we're about to discover with Enoch is what we should be learning and how to prepare ourselves adequately so that he can walk with us. So, yeah. I should say, I think any of us could at some time in our life yep. call into that. I think yep. it's raw <laughs> Well, oh, then the unworthy. Because the mistake that we can make, by the way, and this to say, anybody who leaves the church, it was just out of sin. Not necessarily. There are those that are going to leave because they want to do things that they shouldn't do. But don't automatically assume. Some, and we have a tendency to do that. Anybody that's leaving is because they just have sins they want to do and they, this is the best way to do it. Not necessarily. Okay, now. Look, yeah. The accidentally shunned. The accidentally shunned. I, I would put that in there as well. Absolutely. Okay. I'm, I'm hustling here because we're, we're one verse in. We're supposed to be doing like 4 to 11 of Genesis, okay? We're one verse in. One scholar on returning to the church says, It would be wrong to think that I'm unaware of the weaknesses of the Mormon subculture. This is a guy that had left the church, was out in the church for a while, and then came back in even stronger. But I pay no mind to them because they're not the basis of my faith. I came back focused on everything that is virtuous, lovely, or good report, or praiseworthy, and determined to nourish the wheat until it choked out the tares. Today he is continuing his research into Mormonism's past, but he finds digging into Mormon history is ultimately favorable to faith. Amen. I believe that. The more I have researched church history, the deeper I dig, the more confirmation that I have that Joseph Smith was a prophet. The, the, the more that buttresses my faith. Because, well, aren't you going to see that Joseph Smith had flaws? Yes. And that he made mistakes? Yes. He had, he had an anger problem. He would go off. Yes. And then read the revelation that came out the same week. Unbelievable. He was, he was a very flawed prophet that was perfected and polished by the Lord. This was not a... Anyway, I'm just always shocked by people who's like, well, Joseph Smith had some problems. Yes, he did. And the Lord took a very imperfect person, and, and the church is a product of Jesus Christ, not Joseph Smith. Yeah. I think, it, you know, it's, a lot of it depends on what you're looking for. 
Yes. We're looking for ways to confirm that he was a true prophet and to fill on your faith where some people are trying to... They are. They're, they're desperately looking for anything that might uh, confirm that. Uh, th that's why we get... The, the oldest anti-Mormon book was written in, in 1834, Mormonism Unveiled by uh, E.D. Howe. E.D. Howe is a pseudonym uh, for another guy who was, uh, Joseph uh, caught him in adultery, was excommunicated from the church, got mad, couldn't leave it alone, uh, went up to upstate New York, re talked to all of the, the people in Palmyra about the Smiths. You know, and one group would say, Joseph was out every night rousing, rousing the countryside. And another major would say, well, he was a drunk and never did a day's work in his life. You know, and he, he assembled all of those things together and wrote the book Mormonism Unveiled in 1834. And we have, and we have proved over and over and over how much none of that was true. But every anti-Mormon tract I ever see, one of the things they're going to quote, Joseph was lazy. The source, Mormonism Unveiled. It just doesn't go away. It did. And they just continued to use it. You know, that, that's why, as I mentioned before, that Daniel Peterson, uh, one of the foremost uh, uh, scholars in the church, he's an Islamic scholar, he talks about a lot, a lot of this anti-Mormon stuff. It's like shooting zombies. You know, he shoots them and they die and they keep getting up. Anyway. That said. Okay, let's go, let's go to our second verse. Who is the Lord that I should know Him? Okay? Uh, so, so we see Cain kind of starting to walk down the path of being in an at-risk group, and that is his own pride, his sense that he's smarter than God, set him up. Uh, so then they can... They, there is brother Abel. Abel hearkened to the voice of the Lord. Abel was a keeper of sheep. Cain was the tiller of the ground. Uh, now, Satan... Cain loved Satan more than God. Now, listen closely. And Satan commanded him, saying, Make an offering unto the Lord. If you're Satan, aren't you saying to Cain, You're smarter than everybody else. Why, why don't you just bag the sacrifice thing and go fishing at the lake? Don't, don't even go to the meetings. Don't, you know, don't sacrifice. You're smarter. You don't have to sacrifice. That's crazy. Why wouldn't he just say, disobey and don't do it at all? He has to create this moment where God, like, criticized, like, he gets reprimanded or whatever. So then Cain feels justified in his feelings. So, so this is the big setup, isn't it? This is how Satan works. Because it would be interesting, it would be easy for, for Satan to say, just blow the whole thing off. You don't need it. You're smarter. But later he may think. But do it. Do it. Now, is he going to say, because listen to what he does. Um, and in the process of time it came that Cain brought the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. So he's going to bring his offering. He's doing what he's supposed to do, isn't he? What, did he, what is he doing wrong here? <coughs> What's the problem? He's not doing it with the right heart. He's not doing it what? The right heart. He's not doing it with the right heart. First of all, he's not doing it with the right heart. Absolutely. He's already kind of in league with Satan. So, that, so he's doing the right thing for the wrong reason, there's a setup waiting to happen. That's another step in the step towards apostasy. 
What's the other? Well, I doesn't say that was like the best of the fruit. Like the other one's like the first right. of the flock, so it shows. What's the difference between the first leaves of the flock and the fruit of the field? Blood. This was to be symbolic of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Therefore, this sacrifice required what? The shedding of blood. So Cain can show up with wheat and some corn. And it didn't require that. And that's so he's going to do, first of all, he does it for the wrong, his heart's in the wrong place. Number two, he's going to do the right thing the wrong way. That's the setup. What Satan they, they did, though, is see a lot with the youth. Oh, wear this to church and see. And see At least you're going to church. And see if they don't reject Absolutely. you. Absolutely. What he says is wear this to church and see if they don't reject you. There's, there's, I, I should be able to go to church whenever I want. So if I'm going to go in something really low cut and hanging out, at least I'm in church, right? And then be surprised when somebody says, could you please cover that up a little bit? In other words, I'm trying to prove uh, with all the wrong... I'm doing the right thing. I'm going to church for all the wrong reasons. There's the setup, and Satan sets us up so that we will then be offended if somebody's going to call us on our stuff. That's a, that's a beautiful... You can see it happening. Satan set him up. You get that one? Say that again a little louder. Because there's the other one, and I think this is this was the other wonderful setup of this. He was jealous of Abel and his sheep herd, and he didn't want to have to go ask Abel. I'm going to have to either buy a sheep from you or trade some stuff, so I'm going to have to go through my younger brother. And there, there's, the, there's the pattern, and it begins right now in the Old Testament. The, the elder brother is always stinking the place up, and the younger brother is more righteous and the older is always upset that the younger brother is more righteous. I'm always amazed, for instance, in the singles program, and I see this over and over, where I'll watch somebody that has struggled in the church and they've, and they've let's say that they've had morality problems and uh, they come back into the church and now they're going to start dating and, and they're dating, they want to find and date somebody who has had the same kind of morality problems. Because the belief is if I marry somebody that hasn't struggled the way that I have, they'll be judgmental. They're not going to accept me. So I don't want to marry somebody that like hasn't been married before and went through divorce. I've got to find somebody who has divorced and has to be a nasty divorce like me so that I won't get judged. I'm fearful of being judged. And why was why was the offering not right? It didn't, didn't involve the shedding of blood. So in other words, it looks good, doesn't it? I'm here to provide my sacrifice. Here it is. It's the best that I have. But it wasn't done the right way. It wasn't the way that God prescribed it. Well, that's what I was about to say. It, not only that, that it didn't have blood, but it wasn't what my father asked for. That's right. He wasn't really being obedient. He wasn't being obedient, but it looked obedient. That's, that's part of where I think apostasy comes from. We are doing the right things for all the wrong reasons, and because of that, we don't do it the way that he prescribed it. Okay? But, if he had, but if, let's say he instead 
he took some of his the things that he grew and he gave it to the poor. Wouldn't that have been great? You know what? Wouldn't that have been There's great? a wonderful tip. Instead yeah. of sacrificing my wheat, I decided I'm not doing a sacrifice. I'm going to go give it to the poor instead. That's a better thing, isn't it? Rather than subject my kids to three hours of church and the high council speaker, we're going to go out on the lake and have family time. Yes, and what a waste of a good lamb. But he still needed to sacrifice the lamb. Yeah. I, 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 I agree with that. Don't, don't sacrifice the lamb. I'm just saying. That also would have been an offering. He could have done that in, in the way addition. We read, the way we read it, it's like either he can't do an offering. It's like there, he didn't have an alternative. Satan makes it us think we don't have righteous alternatives. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. Perfect. He knew the right way to do it. He did. Adam and Eve told him, this is why we do it. We have an angel. You know what? We have an angel come and say you're supposed to do it. This is in similitude of Jesus Christ who will be sacrificed to the world. So you're supposed to do it with blood. And he shows up with wheat. And then this... Yeah. Oh, he knew it. He knew it. Okay. So. Uh, so here we go. Uh, Cain loves Satan more than God. Make an offering. He does it. Abel brings the firstlings. Um... But unto Cain and his offering, God did not have respect. Satan knew this and it pleased him. And Cain was wroth and his countenance fell. He's so shocked that it wouldn't be accepted. Because I'm actually smarter. And the Lord says unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, thou wilt be accepted. And if not, sin lieth at the door. Uh, 24, from this time thou shalt, if, if you fall, you'll be the father of his life. And thou shalt be called what? Perdition. Sometimes we miss this. We talk about those that are out, out of darkness. They're called the sons of perdition. We think they're the sons of Satan. No, they're the sons of Cain. Because he knew it and did it uh, anyway. That's what I was going to say. That's how we know he knew it. Right? Because he fell in the tradition. Okay. So, now. Cain was wrought. Oh, was, uh, yeah. Let me do it real quick. I want this quote from uh, President Uchtdorf. Strained and broken relationships are as old as humankind. Ancient Cain was the first who allowed the cancer of bitterness. Think about apostasy. The, the, the cancer of bitterness and malice to canker his heart. He tilled the ground of his own soul. I love where he went with this. He tilled the ground of his soul with envy and hatred and allowed these feelings to ripen until he did the unthinkable, murdering his own brother and becoming in the process the father of Satan's lies. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay, but once I thought a kid who hadn't been to church for years, he showed up at church, had an off, and uh, Bishop said something, never saw him again. I mean, can't, can't you kind of give a little bit yes. of leeway and say, welcome back to church, we don't care about your hair. You know, I'm not going to mention it. Yeah. I feel sorry for him, you know. He brought his wheat, and, you know, this. <laughs> 
you have to look at the intent. Let's say that you've got somebody who is who is inactive and they're coming back and they're showing up in a t-shirt and jeans, but their their desire is to come back and get started on the on the right. We love them, we put our arms around them. I'm not saying we're one about their Levi's and jeans. In time they'll make those changes themselves. It's the intent behind when I'm going to come deliberately to disobey and in a sense I'm going to throw it in your face. If a kid is showing up to say, you know what, mom keeps telling me to go to church. I hate church. I hate her. I'm going to get a cut. And I had a kid do this, by the way. I had a kid that says, I- I'm, I'm going to deliberately set out. I'm going to, I'm going to color my hair this wild color because I want to go to church. And it's going to be in my dad's face. And so that somebody can then insult me. So then I have a pretense to leave. It was a setup from the beginning. And, and I said, did it work? Oh, yeah. Not as much as I thought, because they you know, kind of saw it coming, and nobody was going to react to it that much. Cain, Cain deliberately set out to mock and rebel. The you know, difference in it, the way where his heart's coming from. Yeah. I'm going to do it my way. And, you know, kind of do it my way. I think it's similar to this because the sacrifice was a specific yes. thing that had been... Good point. That's, that's really a good point. In other words, I'm going to take God's stuff and we're going to do it our way. Maybe we don't like the way the sacrament works. So so we're going to sit there and stew that we think... It was, it was like the guy that I remember getting on me in a gospel doctrine class and his big saw was the fact that our Lord used white bread for the sacrament. It was not that it should be like whole wheat, organic, because that would be the best. Why are we using this altered bleach stuff? And that's going to, we want to alter it based on our own belief of stuff. Okay? Now, oh, we got to keep going. Oh, we're 20, we got 40 minutes. We're not even to Enoch yet. Okay. Um... Now watch what happens. Uh, God didn't have respect. Uh, thou shalt be perdition. Um, 26. Cain was wroth. Listen no more to the voice of God and to his Abel, uh, to his brother Abel. Uh, Adam and his wife mourn because they're watching this. They had such high expectations. Um, Cain took one of the brother's daughters to wife. They love Satan more than God. Now the rebellion begins to grow in some steam. He's going to start pulling other people in. And Satan said unto Cain, Swear unto me by thy oath. Remember the Book of Mormon and the, and the Lamanites and everything that's in the Book of Mormon will fall because of this. This is where it starts. Satan said unto Cain, Swear unto me by thy throat, and if thou tell it, thou shalt die. Swear thy brethren by their heads and by the living God. Uh, this day I will deliver thy brother into thy hands. Okay? And 30, um, all these things were done in secret. This is now, the, this, is, this is called the Mahan Principle. The Mahan Principle. Cain said, Truly I am Mahan. 
the master of this great secret. And what is the secret? That I may murder and yet gain. That is the mayhem principle. Where do we see the mayhem principle today? <laughs> what? Terrorist group? Terrorist group? A murder and gain. Mafia? Gangs? A lot of mysteries happen. Yes, they are. And it's a mystery. And it's somewhere in that mystery what they're doing is saying, I'm going to be able to do something in secret and I'll get to steal stuff because of that. I'm going to murder and gain. Sometimes it's not murder in blood, is it? The main principle is work when I murder somebody's reputation. When I murder somebody's plans, when I murder their self-esteem, so that I may get gained. How many? What, what the, is it that is that the principle underlying pornography? Who's getting gained? Whoever's running the website, whoever's selling the movies, they're getting gained. Sometimes I think it is it's it's some actress's agent. I'm going to get her to murder her morality. And I get the game. Okay? So, also, I guess you can murder one, one's beliefs. And I know that in our church, we aren't proactively speaking against other churches and their beliefs. However, there are other churches that actually teach their members specific things about against our church. They our do. Beliefs, you know? And how does that work? Because there are those that are full-time Mormon bashers. And they are paid very well by other churches to go around and preach in their congregation. And they're able to write books. They're able to uh, get invited to do things. They are making, they're making their living out of, out of bashing. You know, and it's one of those things, I, I just can't picture calling all of our saints over on a Wednesday night so that we can bring in a former Catholic and bat, bat, bash the Catholic church. <laughs> and we just wouldn't even go there. Yeah. Anyways, uh, you look at Ed Decker and the Godmakers. Yes. Which the Baptist Church adopted. Oh, they just pulled that in, but Decker made a lot of money over What's it. What's interesting about that group was a lot of the ones that originally went to that group which came back to church. Yeah, they did. Yeah. And again, I, I, t I promise you, it's being driven by, by somewhat the mayhem principle. It's just a matter that we're going to murder something so that we get gained. And so they're very people, lot, most people in those churches are very well intentioned. They're so afraid that the church is going to is going to subvert them and all that. And I get that. And they're really and they're just their hearts in the right place. They've just been uh, taken advantage of by someone running the mayhem principle. And um, they had sent the missionaries um, 
well, the, the board missionaries to, to, to kind of witness and see if there's anything they could do to help out there. And they said it was the most amazing thing. They said at the end of the film, the people were really disturbed. And they said, well, wait a minute. They didn't say anything about how the Mormons really are so great with their families and how they, they, were, they were actually... So it kind of went against them. Because they've seen the example that we have been told to set through the... At the, at the end of the day, that's the biggest battle against that, isn't it? Okay, so here's the Mayhem principle. Uh, murder and get gain. Uh, therefore, Cain was called Master Mayhem and gloried in his wickedness. Um, and then we get uh, Cain rises up in the field. He slays Abel. And then I love this line. Uh, because it just it puts, it puts the button on all of this. And Cain gloried in that which he had done, saying what? I am free. Free of what? go to this one. So, somebody want to turn to 2 Nephi 2.27? Have you got that, Sister Joan? I want to read that. Wherefore, men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given them for expedient unto man. Okay, now stop. So, so men are free, and everything is given to them that is, that's expedient. Okay, and? And they are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men. So that freedom enables you to choose eternal life. Okay, and? Yeah, that, isn't that amazing? Because they'll think, 
If I am free, I'm, choo I'm free to choose between Budweiser and Coors. <laughs> I'm free to choose between a Coke and a beer. I'm free to be able to choose whether I go to church or not. I am free to choose whether I sleep with my girlfriend or not. I am free. And in and, and this one it's saying the, the only true choices are righteousness and captivity. Because I, I, I love this. When, when, he, when the Lord says to him, okay, he says, I'm free. And the Lord says, where's your brother? I'm not my brother's keeper. Uh, and then the Lord says, well, unfortunately, the, the, as a result of what you've done, the ground's going to be cursed. Um, when you till, it won't yield or strength. You're going to be a fugitive. Um, and Cain said unto the Lord, 38, Satan tempted me because of my brother's flocks. I was wroth, all, I got angry for his offering. Thou didst escape and not mine. And here's the line that comes to those that ultimately choose captivity over and over and over again. They thought it was about freedom. It looked like freedom. It felt like freedom. And you just run it out long enough. And what do they say? My punishment is more than I can bear. My addiction is killing me. My habits, I've lost everything. I am Thomas B. Marsh, the Mormon apostate. Don't let me die outside this I don't care if you have to baptize me in sheet, which is what he said. But it had to take a process of time before they finally see. And there's a and Enoch's going to have a very nice descriptive piece of this moment. Okay, does this make sense? Okay. Next chapter. <laughs> Because we're going to... Alright, yeah, let's go over... Let's go to Moses 6. There is one nice line, by the way, that I... Uh, before we get into the others. I just thought this was a great little line. In case you ever wonder. It's, it's verse 9. In the image of his body, male and female... He created, God created Adam and Eve and blessed them and called them what? Adam. When the Lord talks about Adam, what is He talking about? Mr. and Mrs. Adam. Adam and Eve. Descriptions about Adam did this and Adam did this and everything. It's, it, what He means is Adam, them together. Adam and Eve. that make sense? Isn't that cool? Alright. So, here comes the next story. So they're going to have a lot of kids uh, down through the generations. Uh, now, I want you to see. Let's go backwards. Verse 28. This is the Lord speaking to Enoch. For these many generations, ever since the day I created them, all of these that we I've created have gone astray and have denied me and have sought their own counsels in the dark, and in their abominations they have devised murder, and have not kept the commandments. Now, listen to his description of them. In verse 27, for their, he's going to give you three things, for their hearts have waxed hard, their ears are dull of hearing,
and their eyes cannot see afar off. Is there a better description for apostates? Or for those that are outside, or putting themselves in little of rebellion or outside? Uh, their hearts of wax hard. I know in talking to parents, you know, that they go to a place and there's going to be an apostle there and they're going to bring the rebellious kid and the rebellious kid's going to sit in state conference and listen to the apostle and at the end of that, mom is going, wow, that was awesome and wonderful and wasn't the spirit so great? What does the kid say? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or I'm not letting it in. This ground is going to remain hard and you can't put a seed in here anywhere. I will not open up my heart and let that in. It has to remain hard. So any spirit runs right off of this. I've got to remain hard. says, here's what's going to happen. Um, verse 30. Uh, I'm going to talk to them. And, and by the way, you're going to be the one that's going to go teach them. And then, <laughs> this is just one of my favorite verses in all the scriptures. And when Enoch had heard these words, he bowed himself to the earth and, and before the Lord and spake unto the Lord, saying... And just kind of see the look on his face, right? Ah! Why is it that 
I have found favor. <laughs> Look at me. Look at me. Why have I found of all the people you could choose in the war? Why me? Because he's probably preordained. Well, he was certainly preordained for sure. Is this the same Enoch who was the son of Cain? No, different, different Enoch. Well, who? Because the funny thing is, the son of Cain has a son by the name of Enoch who builds a city. This, this is uh, this is son of uh, Seth. This is that a different line. This is birthright line. Okay. Why have I found? Why have I found favor in thy sight? Now, if you haven't noticed, God, look at me. I am but a lad. And on top of that, all the people hate me. Don't you get it? I am but a lad and all the hate people hate me. And by the way, do I ever have to speak in church? Yes. I am slow of speech. Wherefore am I thy servant? There's better people out there. President Jones, let me pick on you. What was that like to be called to say, President? Very humble. Yes. If you feel a little bit like that, of all the good men that I see around me, I'm not sure why it would be me. And I remember having that sense as a bishop. God, have you looked around? There are really good men in my ward. The ward where I served as a bishop, I looked around and I can count by my count at least seven bishops. That are men that have come on to become bishops, some are still serving right now. When, and, once, and my counselor was a member of the state presidency. Or he's the state president now in Las Vegas. And I look at it and go, what were you thinking? <laughs> and I just think we all have this sense that so often when God can say, I have a great work to do, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to call the last person you would think of. <laughs> Why? Even if he's a lad and everybody hates him? He's trainable. Because he's trainable. He's teachable. You're going to be at that point of saying, I know I can't do it, therefore I know. That's why when I look at Joseph Smith and I look at his flaws, and that, that's why I just love Emma Smith on her deathbed. And, and her husband is saying, come on, wasn't there really some other document in front of him while he was translating the Book of Mormon? Come on, it's, this is Joseph Smith. And she says, I was there when he was translating, and he couldn't even write a sentence. He was lucky to spell his name right. <laughs> I'm as shocked as you are. <laughs> Wherefore am I thy servant? I just think that mo most of the time God tends to choose the Moseses and the Enochs and the Joseph Smiths and the John the Baptist and they're just because they are so teachable and they get that they're teachable and they just open up their heart and say then fill my mouth. Let it happen. Um, in a previous institute class there was uh, something that was shown of uh, some kind of a receiver something that Joseph had received and he had written on it and he didn't spell the words right. He didn't even have the correct grammar. The, the, the difference between what is printed in the Book of Mormon and the way he wrote personally Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then you read his letters at the same time the revelations are coming. 
You know, and the, and the letters are like, really? You know, and then here comes this revelation. And this beautiful heavenly language pours out of this revelation. So, so the Lord tends to choose people. And think about that next time you get a calling. No, you're probably not the most qualified person. And, and that's probably exactly why the Lord called you. Because you would be more receptive and more teachable. Yeah. Yeah. Cain could have been an Enoch. He very easily could have been. Look at who he his parents look for. Look at what he had been taught. He had been given everything he needed to be an Enoch. But because he chose pride, yeah. he became Cain. He, lo- he loses it. Yep. Okay, so here so here here's the verse. Here's the Lord saying, I will qualify those who I call. And I, I, I just think, this, this to me is beautiful. Behold, say, my spirit, Enoch, is upon you, wherefore all thy words will I justify. And the mountains shall flee before you, and the rivers will turn in their course. And thou shalt abide in me, and I in you. Therefore, what? That's all he's asking. Just walk with me. And if you walk with me, I will fill you. Walk with me. And I think sometimes those that are busy rebelling and struggling are those that say, I want to walk by the light of my own conceit. And and the the Lord says, just walk with me. I know you're a lad. I know everybody hates you. Probably not as many as you think. But once I get you preaching, it will be worse, by the way. <laughs> Walk with me. I, I just If there's going to be like a young woman's thing, this ought to be it. Walk with me. Yeah. I think it's interesting if you look further, when they were translated, it says, and Enoch and all his people walked with God. Oh, is that right? Does it say that? You see, she's just saying, if you look ahead, when it says that they, just before they were translated, they walked with God. In other words, they all walked the walk. Beautiful. Okay. Whew. 15 minutes. <laughs> he probably asked his wife, did she wonder about the wife? I imagine that proposal went something like, would you marry me? And she says, I'm but a lass and everybody hates me. Why would you call me? No, I'm not. Okay, so... They went forth to hear it. People start coming out in high places. Uh, and, and the response was, There is a strange thing in the land. A wild man has come upon us. Okay, he's just not what we expect from a very smooth-talking preacher. This guy's pretty rough. How often is the church seen as a strange thing in the land? We're not sure about Mitt Romney. He's part of that weird Mormon thing, you know? It's just odd. The Savior himself totally wasn't a big thing. Does this man come out of Nazareth? Why, why would we listen to him? He's kind of a rough thing. Or we're going to go out and listen to the wild man in the wilderness, John the Baptist. It's going to be kind of a rough. It's not what we expect. The church is always seen as a strange thing in the land. Now, uh, boy, there's a time remaining. Okay, let's hop over to, to uh, chapter 7. 
Because I because this is in all of Scripture one of the sweetest set of verses we have available to us. Enoch is going to be given a vision of the, the, the synopsis is this. Enoch is going to be given the vision. It's all the people. He sees generations. He sees everybody. Then he goes out and preaches. They say he's a strange thing in the land. Oh my gosh, we have a beautiful uh, one of his sermons is there. Then it breaks. And then there's a second vision. And this is the vision I want to be able to close with today. This is vision number two. It's in verse 20. And it came to pass that Enoch talked with the Lord and said, Surely Zion will, will uh, dwell in safety forever. And, and by the way, we now know from this, uh, how long did it take him to, uh, to perfect the city of Zion? 365 years. 365 years. This was not an overnight thing. Uh, 21, the Lord showed unto Enoch all the inhabitants of the earth. Uh, then, come, then comes the moment. He's looking in the future. 26, he beheld Satan and, and he had a, I love this description, he had a great chain in his hand and it veiled the whole, the face of the earth with darkness and he looked up and laughed and his angels rejoiced that he's wrapping the earth in darkness and chains. And we could do a whole lesson on that verse all by itself. And Enoch beheld angels descending out of heaven, bearing testimony of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost fell upon many, and they were caught up by the powers of heaven into Zion. Picture what's happening for a second. Because Zion, after 365 years, was so righteous, and the earth is ripening in iniquity, the Lord takes the city of Enoch up and out. Now what happened then is, angels would then, so Enoch's gone. Noah's really kind of trying to hold the fort down. Methuselah is going to hang in there for a little while. He's going to die in the same year as the flood. So, so is Lamech. But So everybody's gone. So now God is still trying to preach repentance to these people. And He's sending angels. And when He sends angels and they join the church, what happens? They're caught up and they join the city of Enoch. Why? Because the earth is ripening in iniquity. And, and every time that a people become so wicked, what does God do with the priesthood? Removes it. It's the last thing that happens. Think of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the last thing that happens before the destruction comes. He then withdraws the priesthood out of their midst. And that's what's happening here. It was taken, it's literally being taken from the earth. Now. But somebody still has it. Noah had it. Yeah. So he's really kind of the only last one here. So there are people, so really just got this smaller and smaller group here. And the priesthood is now being taken. The, the world is now right. And then we get this. Verse 28. And it came to pass that the God of heaven looked upon the residue of the people, those that were left, and he wept. 
And Enoch bore record of it and said, in total shock, How is it that the heavens weep and shed forth their tears as rain upon the mountains? I think the flood was symbolic of God's tears. You almost get that imagery. Twenty-nine, how is it that thou canst weep, seeing that thou art holy from eternity to eternity? And, he, and but what he's basically saying, <coughs> thirty-one, thou, thou took Zion, uh, but, but you're surrounded, God, by peace, justice, and truth is the habitation of thy throne. You're surrounded by peace and wisdom. How can you be crying? How could you be weeping? I don't get it. How can there be a God who knows what you know and is weeping? I think we can, one of the beautiful truths that we have in this gospel is our understanding of a God who is so godlike, but a God who is also so human-like. Who has incredible compassion and love. And because of his knowledge and understanding, sometimes that causes him more pain. And the Lord said unto Enoch, As wicked as these people are, and they've done so many abominations that put them so far out of the gospel, enough that I'm going to have to destroy the earth. Yeah. Those things that you, or people that you have a genuinely vested interest, you care more about. And so it just proves the intense love. Just intense love. And sometimes, and know this, that sometimes that intense love will then bring you pain. I have known a number of people, for instance, going through a painful divorce or rebellious kids or something, and said, the way that I make sure that I never get hurt again is I will never love. If I will shut off my heart and don't love, then I don't get hurt. The reality is that if we do love, we will hurt. If we do love, we will have compassion. That is, that's the reality of this. And God says, no, no matter how wicked they are, they are the workmanship of my, my hands, I gave them their knowledge in the day I created them, and in the Garden of Eden gave I man his agency. They didn't fully have their agency until the Garden of Eden. Interesting. Okay. And then what's Enoch's response? Oh, by the way, then he gives you a little piece of knowledge here. Behold, I am God. What's his name? Man of holiness is my name. When the Savior is called the Son of Man, He's the Son of Man of Holiness. Man of Holiness is His name. He's also called Endless and Eternal. Section 19. Endless punishment, eternal punishment, is God's punishment. It isn't not ending. Now, so the Savior, he's going to then teach him the gospel, and then, then we get this verse, 41. It came to pass that the Lord spake unto Enoch, and taught him, and told him all the doings of men. Therefore Enoch knew. 
What he knew was what God knew. At that moment, he was becoming much more God-like. He knew what God knew and loved as God loved and began to have the compassion that God had. Therefore, Enoch knew and looked upon their wickedness and their misery, and the misery that he knew was coming for them. The, the, the punishment they were going to have to go through after the flood, the drowning wasn't the worst part, it was what was coming later. He stretched forth his arms, his heart swelled wide as eternity, his bowels yearned, and all eternity shook. Oh, I can't even get my arms around that kind of pain. But it's the same pain that God said when his tears fell like rain upon the mountains. And for Enoch to, to be sobbing here, he then knew how to love, he also knew pain. If we're going to have kids, we're going to know joy, and we're going to know pain. And it's part of our experience, because God still has those experiences. He does. In the eternities as a perfected man, He still weeps over His children that do what they do. That's part of perfection. Perfection doesn't mean it will never hurt you. I was just thinking that up until this point, Enoch was all about saving Let's say that work, you know, getting them pulled back, pulled in. We can do this. Getting sucked in, you know, all of them. And then he was like, well, what about these other guys? They didn't, they didn't come in. I got these saved and everything. I saved my people. I know how happy they are. And then I'm going to have compassion and just incredible pain. So again, loving means will hurt. It does. Go back to verse 35. Is that Jehovah talking to yeah, that that's that's oh, interesting, interesting. To say that it's funny that uh, we, I think to be honest with you, I think all this is the father is the son because we deal with Jehovah. Although Elder Holland is going to see it, and I'm going to I want to finish with a quote from Elder Holland. Elder Holland sees it as heavenly father, and so I don't know. Divine investiture, we're not quite sure which. Okay, so that's it. Let me, let me finish then with this. Where is it? Kevin, there's a question. You said that this is a different Enoch, but it's not the same Enoch. It's not the same Enoch. There are two Enochs. There's an Enoch son of... Cain, this is Enoch through the divine, through the uh, uh, Seth. Yeah. So now, so you can follow that line. I'm jumping around a little bit, so it can be a little bit confusing. That's why I'm saying Enoch, Cain's Enoch has a city, but it's not the city of Enoch. <laughs> not the city of Enoch. Okay. Yes. What's that? Hold on. Shut, shut. Yes? Okay, so the city that Enoch had is not. It's not. Two different ones. Okay. 
I know it can be a little confusing, especially where we're trying to cover as much as we are. Okay, hang on. So let's finish with this. How grateful we are for all the scriptures, especially the scriptures of the restoration, that teach us the majesty of each member of the Godhead. How we would thrill, for example, if all the world would receive and embrace the view of the Father so movingly described in the Pearl of Great Price. There, in the midst of a grand vision of humankind, which heaven opened to his view, Enoch, observing both the blessings and challenges of mortality, turns his gaze toward the Father and is stunned. then with this. The more we love, the more we're going to be hurt sometimes by people that struggle in the gospel and those around us that have a hard time. The most powerful thing that we have for them is our love. We may weep, but we need to love and accept them until their hearts are softened and it's the right moment and the right time for them to come. Did 
do that, we've got to suspend sometimes our own sense of betrayal and anger and frustration and put it on the shelf and just love them. God will choose the moment and the time to bring them home. He will choose the persons that He will bring into their life to soften their heart. God will choose the right time because He knows them and He loves them. And it's our job to love them until that moment comes and then to accept them with open arms. The more we on our side become upset and hold them at arm's length, they become justified in their rebellion. We, like the father and the prodigal son, need to be standing out in the field waiting for them to come to themselves until they come home. And when they do, it will be the right time and finally their heart is ready to hear our love. In the meantime, beware, be ready for pain because it will hurt. But don't stop loving because there's pain. God does it and He weeps. And we want to be like Him. And it's okay. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we're so very thankful.